0: What's truncal acne, Gloria?
1: It's acne on your body. I was going (laughs) to say acne on your trunk. (laughs) The trunk. The, The trunk. (laughs) <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Chemist Confessions podcast, a human conversations on all things skincare science. I'm Gloria. I'm Victoria. And today is all about acne. Ooh, we're getting into the meats. Yeah. Uh, the meat is a dense one. So we'll dive right in. But before we get to the meat, we'll share a few nice words. And I have a quick disclaimer to make for people listening to this watching this po- uh, podcast on YouTube. You might notice that I'm very shiny today. you
0: extra dewy today, Gloria. <laughs> what are you doing?
1: <laughs> um, so you will see a slew of sunscreen content that we are doing mm. in May. We are doing a 30-day 30, 30 sunscreen challenge where we Woohoo! just test a bunch of sunscreen, give our feels on on them. Uh, we'll test the wash off with our blank slate, just, you know, kind of to kick off the hotter seasons. Uh, and today I'm traveling one of the most... I don't even know how to describe it sunscreens. <laughs> it was so slippery. It's still sitting on my face. It's it not won't... really absorbing. Yeah, it's not going in at all. And Victoria was watching me squeal at the UV camera. I'm like, why? Why won't it go into my skin? Yeah, you
0: might see a clip of me uh, creepily recording Gloria as she is freaking out that <laughs> the sunscreen is not absorbing. But yes, that explains her extra doing look today.
1: Yeah, it's been an hour since I put on my face. It's still shiny. Guess who's not getting five stars for me?
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, anyways, we should get into some nice words before we start the meet. Yes. Uh, we actually are going to feature a four star review. <gasps> How's that for transparency? <laughs> uh, and it's going to be about our double play.
1: Cool the title goes great my sensitive dry skin struggles a little though Mm. i needed to switch to something less intense than a dappling that Mm. i've been using so i tried this i love how it makes my skin feel and it is great for my sensitive skin except that i need to use it uh, only every other night Mm. i've tried increasing the frequency but when i do my eyelids swell this is a problem I find with all retinol products, though, so I don't blame the product so much as my skin. But I've been using it every other night with great success. Beautiful packaging, and I love the pump applicator.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I was like, eyelid swell. Do you think it's getting too close to the eyelid area?
1: Maybe, or I kind of find that, because usually when I apply, when I use double play around the eye area, I don't put it over my top eyelid, yeah. but some I do apply pretty close to around to make sure I get the whole crow's feet area. Yeah. So I'm sure like some runs over just a little for bit. Sure. If you're yeah. ultra sensitive, I can see that.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, honestly, it's still a great review. We actually have gotten questions before on whether or not yeah. it was safe to place on the eyelid. And we would say, No, don't do that. That's for under-eye and crow's feet only. Mm. Um the eyelid area is so thin. Um, so it's definitely not recommended. But otherwise, thank yep. you for the honest review.
1: And I would also add that I think it's great that she finds her frequency yeah. with it. You know, she uses it every other night, can bring it in. I think that's great. And it's a reminder that everyone's retinal journey is unique. You don't need to dial up to a 1% retinal every night just because someone else is.
0: Totally. All right, moving on. This is one of our very first uh, reviews on the experiment kit. For those of you that don't know, we launched this about a few weeks ago. Um, this- they
1: probably don't know because we have not talked <laughs> about it <them> very much. <laughs> I mean,
0: we're, we're trying. But anyways, since you don't know, <laughs> this is the uh, replacement of the Travel Buddy and the Box of Goodies. Um, we've been uh, working on doing a sample kit so people can get easy access to our products and really learn to mix and match and find their perfect combination and in the experiment kit you get blank slate aquafix moisturizer uh, mr Reliable, and the better oil and then you get to choose your exfoliator booster to go with so for this one it's she writes great option to try out different products i've already used all of these formulas before so i mainly bought this to have some travel size products on hand I like that the better oil is in a small dropper bottle. Previous iterations of this sample kit had a roller ball dispenser for the oil. And she's absolutely right. I've loved pretty much everything I've used from this brand. So definitely pick up one of these packs if you're curious about trying these out. Yeah. Um, yes, it used to come in a roller ball. That was interesting. Had a lot of questions there. You get so
1: many emails about like, the ball
0: stuck. What do I do? And we're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, so we moved on. And um, I did want to add that the bottles that you you that um, are in the experiment kit, um, feel free to wash those. You can actually remove the plug and then you can rinse those out there, PP and so I sometimes will use that to hold other samples, so that's one way to reuse the kit. But otherwise, thanks for the review. And like always, uh, we just want to say we're really proud of all our reviews. Please take a look. If you're curious in our products, um, They a lot of our users share their routine to go with it, which is really insightful. We don't pay for any of them, so we really appreciate all that do fill out reviews for us. And we definitely want to reward our podcast listeners, mm-hmm. so if you um, are interested in trying out our line, please use the promo code <laughs> CCPODCAST2023. We have not updated it yet, so get it today. <laughs> yeah. 15% As off. you can see,
1: we haven't come up with what the new reward will be, but this code still works, so check out our line.
0: All right, so anyways, we're going to get into the meat because it's going to be a little bit long, but today is all about acne.
1: Gloria's gonna be mute. No, I'm just no, gonna chill here. Gloria's not gonna be mute because <laughs> <laughs> there's sh- a lot going on here. I'm shiny in solidarity. <laughs> yeah so
0: I think um, we're gonna do just a quick snapshot. They, <laughs> these are all the culprits that add to and cause acne. Um, so there are four of them.
1: Yeah so This is a good way, we love good biology breakdowns Mm -hmm. because it's a good way to think about your routine, making sure you have all your bases covered. Uh, Unfortunately, not every skin concern is super well understood. Happy to say, acne. Even even though it's a difficult one, but it is one of the most well-studied skin concerns. That's true. <laughs> the four main causes of acne are number one, increased sebum production. Mm-hmm. Um, this is of course a no-brainer. A lot of people with oily skin tend to experience more acne, mm-hmm. and the excess sebum directly <laughs> increases the likelihood of clogged pores and eventually acne.
0: Yep. Number two is hyperkeratinization. Um, That's just a fancy word for buildup of keratinocytes. And this is what creates congestions and essentially clogs your pore. And this is very important because it creates a perfect environment
1: for bacteria. Yep. Which leads to number three, C-acnes overgrowth. Mm -hmm. C-acnes, the C stands for cutie bacterium. Um, It used to be called P-acnes, but they kind of pulled away the acnes line a little bit closer and uh, renamed it to (laughs) C-acnes. This is what people associate the most with acne. Usually Mm -hmm. you hear a lot about antimicrobial microbial actives yes and a lot of times uh i guess i feel like people are age around passage is very aggressively washing your face yep. and you hear a lot about like there's too much bacteria what and- makes
0: people think their face is very dirty yes
1: mm-hmm. um but this is definitely just one of them and mm-hmm. i would say all of them are interlinked and say the cream semen production can lead to environment that promotes the acne's overgrowth and it kind of becomes a vicious cycle there.
0: Sea acne acne is actually love to feed on sebum. So this mm-hmm. is why this kind of a vicious cycle. And then what kind of just is a cherry on top to this perfect ecosystem is inflammation. And that can really exacerbate, you know, the symptoms of acne. So these are the four main culprits and we just want to review this for everyone we'll leave our cutesy diagram here um, just so everyone can have um, a place of reference for all of this other material we're about to talk about. Um, but overall, we're not going to dive too much into the biology today mm-hmm. because, honestly, Gloria and I did a really good job last a really time. really painful,
1: <laughs> painstaking <laughs> job. Was that the product of, like, a quarantine session we did in Asia? I think
0: so. <laughs> yeah, it was. But it was... Um, honestly, I think it's great. It's um, We were able to review... Not only the biology, we actually looked into scarring as well. Um, And definitely check back to episode 27. You're wondering how the numbers... Yes, the very whimsy numbers (laughs) for uh, acne and their scars. And also check out the blog article. Let's just say, like Gloria said, there is so much more than just killing off the cutie bacteria, which is so 2000. So um, now there's definitely... It requires a holistic rep- approach. And yeah, so for the meat part one, we actually want to focus on any acne updates because, like Gloria said, a lot of the attention gets focused on treating acne. So there are some some studies out there.
1: Yeah, um, the first one is microbiome. So like we talked about, C acne is a direct culprit to, to um, yeah. acne. So, in terms of skin microbiome work, there's been a lot of research focused around C acne, what kind yeah. of environment promotes it. I think there's a lot of products out there that talks about promoting the good bacteria as opposed mm-hmm. to the ones you don't want. Um, it's a dense field, and I want, I think you can still find our old episodes around microbiome. It's an area that we think holds a lot of promise, and we're hoping that it can help promote, you know, a more holistic approach to taking your microbiome. However <laughs> Research take time and there hasn't been a lot of new new news or new hard takeaways it's kind of like a yeah. still work in progress type of area
0: yeah I, I think it's like they're getting there they're looking at the genotyping of you know and the it's just there's all these things and they're also looking at it from different angles mm-hmm. they're looking at your actual gut flora the ingestion of things to promote and um your gut flora and how that relates to acne. There's also looking at skin flora because we all know that flora of different parts of the body are actually quite different. And, but there hasn't been any direct hard links. So at this point for Gloria and I, we're kind of just like, okay, keep on going. Keep us posted. Let us know. Yeah, so we won't spend too much time here. There's actually a recent review paper that actually looked at diet and acne. Just something that people really focus on, actually myself included. So I did want to share this study where they looked at about 410 articles. But what's interesting is out of that 410, only 34 articles um, met the inclusion criteria. Huh. Yeah, they, how they ruled it out was, one, they found the paper didn't actually quite discuss the relationship between that diet and acne itself. Yeah. And then the review paper, they had to exclude other review papers because there are actually a lot out there. And then also they excluded papers that were in English or were blocked. And somehow they got to 34.
1: (laughs) I like that. They're like, oh, no, it's blocked. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the other thing to note here is that half of the studies they looked at were conducted in nations of predominantly Western diet. And then in terms of conclusion, I did want to share uh, another edition of their words, not ours in the most PC way they write. These studies had a higher assigned strength of evidence and their conclusions were backed by numerous RCTs that demonstrated either significant improvement in acne with the adoption of low GI diet. So this is like their their most general takeaway of the entire review paper is that- From 34 papers. From 34 papers. They looked at low GI, they looked at dairy, and then of all of these papers, the only thing they could truly tie it to was a low glycemic index. Might have a positive correlation to acne, but everything else is kind of- Did
1: they look at other stuff? So growing up, you hear a lot about- it's like- it's almost like a- kind of like voodoo or like mm-hmm. a, a certain superstition kind of like oh you can't look at fried food the wrong way or else you'll grow acne yes. so i think growing up the one that i always hear about is you can't eat fried food mm-hmm. or you can't too much sweets or oh, mm-hmm. like chocolate did they look at those too
0: they did but they didn't i think they were also looking at quantity as oh. well and so for them they felt like the bigger focus focus with more robust amount of data mm-hmm. was actually around dairy and the glycemic index
1: got it yeah
0: so that and then from that of the 410 they whittled down to 34 and then their conclusion is low glycemic index might be helpful
1: yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Actually, I think that's super interesting because I think when we were um looking into low GI diets, it often had more data than yes. a lot of other stuff, yes, exactly. including he- like, like Haitian right? Yes,
0: exactly. And aging. Mm-hmm. So I think also because there's a lot more attention on the glycemic index, yes. I think that
1: from different angles, more too, yeah,
0: yeah, data around yeah. That. And I did want to quote another thing they wrote about dairy, which I, again, I think Gloria and I have talked about this before. Sometimes the conclusions of review papers and publications, Gloria and I will not always agree. But this is what they wrote about dairy. They write, unfortunately, we could not identify any RCTs on the topic and instead had to base our conclusions on the observational studies, which varied widely in terms of exposure assessment and reported results. But even though they say this, they said dairy could be a factor in acne. And we're like, based on what <laughs> evidence? <laughs> Wait, no, it's inconclusive. <laughs> so they the reason why is because they feel like, because a lot of it has focused on the Western diet, that it's um your ethnicity, your genes can be a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they think that those who are on a Western diet, dairy could be an impact because that's more in their diet. But I actually found that very odd because in Asian diets there's very little dairy and a lot of us are lactose intolerant and Mm -hmm. I feel like that should be the opposite. Like it would be that
1: Eastern diets
0: Mm -hmm. might actually have a worse reaction but there's just no data. So again, inconclusive right?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating to me. It's kind of frustrating sometimes too when we do our research we can't just read the abstract, the, ta- the takeaway, and be like, oh, okay. A lot of times we'll have to pull into the full paper, go through the actual data, and then read the conclusion and go, why? <laughs> why is this a takeaway? Exactly. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So that's the at least the latest update on diet stuff. Um, but I think the thing that is actually more exciting for Gloria and I is they're finally starting to look into truncal acne. What's truncal acne, Gloria?
1: It's acne on your body. I was gonna say acne on your trunk. (laughs) The trunk. The trunk. It's not very um, the neck down trunk. (laughs) The description is not very good. (laughs) You got trunkal acne, what? (laughs) Yeah,
0: and honestly, I really like this because personally, I deal with this myself, and I do feel like body acne, back is a much. It's definitely the forgotten child of all acne issues. But I think it can make people so self-conscious and it also can dictate the outfits you wear. I think this is a great thing that they're finally starting to look at it and realizing there are a couple differences because a lot of times they'll just be like, oh, whatever you acne, use on your face. Acne. Yeah. Whatever mm-hmm. you use on your face, you use on your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually did want to share a couple stats. Um, so... They actually have studied that 48 to 52% of acne patients suffer from truncal acne, um, and there seems to be a slight male predominance, Mm -hmm. um, but it is known to occur in both adolescent and adults. And then in terms of mechanism, the most interesting thing is sebum secretion.
1: Yeah, it says the sebum secretion is lower in the truncal area, which makes sense, mm-hmm. and doesn't play a big part in pathogenesis, which has researchers theorizing that the flora and sea acne's overgrowth is a major cause here. Again, this is great and really good, important for us to take in conservation, consider the forming areas of concern yeah. here. So remember how we just like, say "C acne is not the end-all be-all. Mm-hmm. Still true for your face, but might be a much bigger factor for your body. And I will say my, my husband gets a good amount of body acne. You definitely know when he like was too lazy to shower. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> he usually does. He's really, I should say he's really good about that. But there's a few times like he falls asleep before he wow. showers. Like even hours. I'm talking about mm-hmm. coming back from the gym and then falling asleep. Yeah. And then waking up to shower like before going to bed even that amount of time like kind of factors in for him Mm -hmm. like he stays dirty for longer than an hour his body acne will flare up
0: totally and this is why um maybe some of you are aware that when you sweat Mm -hmm. or you let's say you go to school going you're off to college you're wearing a backpack and it's hot outside and you sweat like it's stuff that actually could contribute Mm -hmm. they are just starting to again like we said This clearly is an element of microbiome tied to this, but it is something that they are looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, all of that could matter. And I think what uh, I really liked in a study, they actually um, referenced a couple um, actual clinicals and they actually looked at testing a 5.3% BPO emollient foam. And this is something that they're going to leave on every Mm. night versus an 8% BPO wash. Mm-hmm. And they actually found that the nightly topical was significantly more effective. And I think reading that for us, it's like very clear <laughs> that it's like, yeah, acne washes in the body area might actually not be very helpful at all.
1: Yeah, I I wanna say that generally speaking, wash-offs don't do as well as leave-on. Yep. So acne washes are much more validated than other types of medicated washes. Or much more as like, in yeah, air quotes, better. Yeah, yeah. It's much better understood. I think the we get- The bar is very low. Yeah. We we tell people all the time, we'll have, we're doing cleanser yeah. in our next episode, so we'll get into it more next episode. Yeah. But I do think there is a certain amount. Uh, I think there's a misconception out there that acne washes work just as well as topicals. Yep this is absolutely not the case here. Yep,
0: totally. They also um, cited another clinical that actually looked at azelaic acid mm-hmm. um, for the body. Um, this They did a 12-week treatment of 20% azelaic acid and they did find that to be helpful. And they actually, there's even another paper that did 15% in that amount also was helpful. So that's some a topical maybe that could look into. But I think the one of the really important takeaways is that they acknowledge that body acne tends to have a much slower response to treatment than face.
1: And huh. yes. Well, that's irritating. Yeah,
0: and I think I I feel like I think that's totally true because I mean the rate at which you see an acne lesion on your face dis- disappear or mm-hmm. kind of like move on to healing phase is so quick. Mm-hmm. But on my chest and back, it is so stubborn.
1: Yeah. Oh, how long so. would you say the back knee or body acne cycle? I think
0: usually probably like two weeks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Does yeah. it stay
1: in the inflammatory inflamed stage?
0: Stay it stays in the inflammatory phase for much longer. Oh, so my like God. usually inflammatory is like maybe two, three days. Mm-hmm. Then you'll see like it's not red anymore. Mm-hmm. It could be inflamed for a week. Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh God. no! I hate <laughs> The sunscreen is so bad. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So speaking of that, we do. You know, we're we're talking about washes. Yeah. We should talk about washes for acne in general. Yes. And kind of going back to like what you were saying about like the cleanser data and whatnot.
1: Yeah. So, uh, of all the cleansers out there, like say cell acid cleansers have a lot more data than than anything else that comes with actives in the cleanser format, and it, especially in particular, cell acid. They show that oh, it is effective in reducing acne lesions over time. Mm-hmm but we still see it as a secondary active, uh, a secondary product format to totally. having acne, because you know, you'll know you see a lot of videos talking about how, oh, with Pinoxyl, which is a BPO wash, you're supposed to leave it on your face a little longer before you wash it off. Then I ask, why not just use topical BPO? <laughs> if you have to have a timer and mask with your cleanser, isn't the cleanser- <laughs> Isn't the cleanser format just there for conveniency reasons? So, yeah, I think at least my personal take, and I, as someone who, my hot take as someone who doesn't really get acne, is I would use a cell acid wash to supplement the routine yes. since cell acid topicals I find to be a little lukewarm anyway. But that's it, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone should look at a medicated acne cleanser or like an OTC acne cleanser and think this will. The cleanser
0: will be my thing. Right, grace. exactly.
1: Yeah, I think there are people out there that that is the entry point product like oh okay this is an acne wash yeah. and that's it they won't have a topical treatment and yeah. i think that's that kind of routine is very lacking
0: totally and i think usually the idea is that um sometimes when you're onboarding you know your retinoids um, for acne that are <laughs> I sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> like... i know i'm tearing <laughs> up yeah so sometimes um when you are you know onboarding retinoids you definitely can encounter some stinging, some sensitivity, you know. And this is where, um, if you're trying to use other cocktails of ingredients, um, a cleanser instead of an added topical can be helpful. But that's really it. It's like you you have to know that you're really almost like downgrading whatever active you're using in a in a wash off versus a leave on. So that's really it. It's it's more like it is an added slot to get mm-hmm. an a even more diverse cocktail of acne treatments, but Yeah, don't like make that the priority for sure. That's absolutely right. Yeah. All right. And then the last update we have on acne is that they are actually starting to broaden um, the skin types that they were looking at for treating acne and post acne marks. And this is incredibly important for uh, post acne marks in people of color. And in the realm of people of color, they are including Hispanic, Asian, Black, and Indian. And the reason why this is good for us is because uh, post acting marks in people of color actually can be much more stubborn. Mm. Um, And so this is really, it's not really that there's a real finding here. It's more that there is now a body of people that are now looking to diversify our understanding. And we think this is a good thing. So think of it as like uh, science news, I guess.
1: Um, This is super exciting. Because even though this is just kind of scratching the surface of understanding different tendencies and different skin types, but it's still like a step in the right directions for us to understand if there's any, you know, any good takeaways that's more ethnicity based. Uh, and from the study, it said uh, it broke it down. It actually find I find it really interesting because I didn't expect the number to be that jarring. I always knew that darker skin type uh, skin tones more prone to post inflammatory hyperpigmentation. But the numbers are is mm-hmm. a lot higher than mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah.
0: So in terms of prevalence, they found that hyperpigmentation was more prevalent um, in black women. That was 65%. Uh, Hispanic is 48%. White is 25%. Asian is 18%, which I thought would be a lot higher. And Indian is 10%. Which oh,
1: yeah, I also thought it would be a lot higher. Yeah.
0: And PIH was, and then what they did was they supplemented that stat mm-hmm. with kind of like a self-assessment uh-huh. of like, how do you feel about this? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, how do you feel about uh, this, I guess, skin concern? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so the PIH was found to be more bothersome to black women was 18%. Hispanic was 10.9% and Asian was 7.4%. And then white Caucasian is 2.8%, very low.
1: Super interesting, but I will say for our fellow Asians out there, you don't, you might get less PAH, but don't worry, melasma is your best I friend. Know. <laughs> so pigmentation, well, we'll save that for pigmentation episode. But I find it really interesting yeah. and uh, I guess a way to differentiate between different people's uh, hyperpigmentation problems. I do think that the Indian that really surprised me. Yes. Because this is, this kind of shows how the traditional Fitzpatrick skill is kind of lacking. Because I think based on just Fitzpatrick's skill, a lot of times Hispanic people will get kind of categorized in the same bucket as Indian. Yes, that's such a good point. And so different here.
0: Yes. No, that's a a really good point. And um, this is where I I liked this paper because it really just addresses kind of like the pitfalls of our current Mm -hmm. um, evaluation techniques. And so one of the things that they talked about was how, you know, in assessing people of color and their acne, they actually have a really hard time differentiating PIH with erythema inflammation. Oh, Because they can't tell based on the coloring and it looks very similar. Mm-hmm. And so this is where they're, you know, they are working on addressing these challenges and how to identify like the red tones versus, if you think back to our dark circle episode where they talk about different tones, oh. Yes, so browns, reds, purples, And I think pinks, Mm -hmm. yeah, they're trying to figure out how they can better assess because that also plays a really big part in treating the condition and then also treating PIH. So, yeah. Super fascinating. Yeah, but um, we definitely should remind everyone of, I guess, the general things to keep in mind for melanin-rich skin when using some of these actives.
1: Uh, low and slow yeah. and patience is key uh, this is a little bit unfortunate I, I think I first heard the stat that people of color people with darker skin are more prone to PIH when I was working on a chemical peel project yeah because even though chemical peels are supposed to be that pretty powerful weapon you can use to tackle yes. hyperpigmentation it's a double-edged sword because you want it to be in depth enough and powerful enough to lift. To, to lift and target those concerns mm-hmm. but in people of color if it's too aggressive it gives you more pigmentation because now your skin is too inflamed so this is definitely where you want to take extra care of your skin barrier
0: yeah definitely and then also you know there are still um prescription level hydroquinone Everyone knows that there you can have that halo effect, the Mm. hypopigmentation that can occur. So if that's something you're also looking into, definitely make sure you're partnered with a good derm that can help you monitor your progress. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, those would I say would be the two main things to keep in mind. Yeah, Yeah. so
1: vitamin C will be your friend because it's less likely that it will be too irritating. But something like a more vanilla topical vitamin C or daily exfoliant, it just won't get you that super speedy, complete recovery (laughs) that you might be looking for
0: totally so sum us up gloria in terms of me part one sum us up acne is here to (laughs) stay
1: long story short thanks gloria (laughs) long story short Acne is a holistic problem. There's a lot of different biological angles you need to look at when you're tackling, your, when you're putting together your routine. <laughs> uh-huh. And we'll get into more of that in meat part two in terms of what are some things you should keep in mind when shopping for acne treatments. In terms of diet that you should be paying attention to, low gi might be something to consider wouldn't worry a lot about the other stuff i remember a long time ago we found a chocolate study yes, my favorite study of all they looked at someone eating cho- two whole bars of chocolate <laughs> every day every day <laughs> and it was inconclusive so your typical have to share that yeah, study again. <laughs> your typical intake of chocolate is probably under that and you should probably <laughs> be in the clear <laughs>
0: Yeah, and then in terms of truncal acne, um, definitely look for leave-on topicals versus um, wash-offs for possibly a better success rate, and then stay tuned for any findings on melanin-rich skin and acne. Yep. Um, But otherwise, we're going to take a quick break. It's time to break, break, break. (laughs) Gonna
1: shut the the t- t- is, washed, is dabbling her <laughs> eyes for the podcast. Okay, i to it. It. break, break, break uh, it up, break, break, break it up, break, break, break it up,
0: break, break. break,
1: break. Who made this runny oh. ass sunscreen? <laughs> oh my god! All
0: right, it's Animal Fun Fact Corner, Woo! and today we are talking about the Quetzal. It's Q U E T Z A L.
1: Oh my god! You know what this was? It was a summon monster in Final Fantasy VIII. I never knew where it was. No, that, I know so. where it comes from. It's a
0: bird. But it makes a lot of sense because this bird is beautiful. The male has a very long blue. It's kind of got this aquamarine blue-green color. Yeah. The males have a beautiful long feathering. It's kind of like the peacock. The males are a lot prettier than the females. are you know, more decorative.
1: I find that to be so interesting. And I think the human equivalents, like, I have you noticed that all your male friends seem to have better lashes than you? <laughs> like, they all have the You're curl, right. the really density, like and so on. Like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: But they got to do more work to find a mate. So, yeah. <laughs> so, it's actually called the resplendent quetzal. And it's found in Mexico and Central America, and it lives in tropical forests. Like I said, the males have the more decorative plumage um, with the long tails, while females actually have the short tail. Their coloring is not as vibrant, um, generally, just this like emerald green. It is very pretty. Yeah. They live in tropical forests. They're predominantly fruit eaters, but they can feed on insects, frogs, lizards, and snails. The interesting thing, which I love this picture from Wikipedia, is they swallow their fruits whole um, and then later will regurgitate the pits to help disperse trees. <laughs> and uh, we'll show this uh, female uh, actually eating a whole wild avocado Definitely whole. Definitely
1: no gag reflexes there. <laughs> Holy crap. That is yeah. not a small avocado.
0: Yeah. Um, so in terms of breeding, they are monogamous. And the one thing that they are super particular about is that they must nest in trees that are in a strong stage of decomposition and decay.
1: That is a very specific request.
0: <laughs> I don't know why, but it's in the it's in the research and it so basically the more dead the better. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the parents actually take turns incubating. The male will generally incubate during the day and then the female will incubate at night. What they've also noticed is that when the eggs hatch, they actually, the parents will also take turns feeding them. But what they've noticed is that males actually feed the hatchlings more food than the female. Oh. Yeah. I guess bigger amounts. And on top of that, chicks are often abandoned by the females near the end of the rearing period oh. and they end up leaving it to the male to continue caring for
1: oh no <laughs> so oh, the females no. here are
0: kind of not in completely
1: in love with rearing children so this monogamy thing <laughs> yeah. is just eh, yeah my job here is done it's a job i see it's a job <laughs> oh no yeah
0: so i found that kind of interesting Otherwise, this beautiful bo- bird, um, it is being threatened um, because of deforestation, but there's actually a lot of, I want to say, stories and historical, um, I don't, what's the word of my thing? Like myths mm-hmm. um, that are tied to these birds, and they're actually um, the national animal of Guatemala.
1: Cool. Yeah. Today we learn. The quetzal. The quetzal.
0: Yeah. So that's it. That's the Animal Fun Fact Corner.
1: Woo! All right.
0: And now. Me part, Me part two. two.
1: Let's wrap this up so I can wash my face because I can't stand the <laughs> sunscreen anymore.
0: Yeah. So today we are actually going to talk about some acne products. But one of the things I think Laura and I quickly realized was no one actually helps you figure out like, I guess, how not severe or severe your acne breakout scenario really is that's
1: a great question because i think a lot of times when people come to us for acne advice we'll give them a rundown of otc or non-prescription products they can buy like this and that like what's your routine like and we'll always follow up with if it's severe enough just don't forget that you should go to a derm and get your prescription goods but rarely do people ask well at what point what is a definitive bad enough to go see a derm time point. Yeah,
0: definitely. So we thought about this, and it turns out it's one big rabbit hole. There is actually a lot of papers that even look at how to correctly, clinically assess acne. And so again, another edition of Their Words, Not Ours, um, there is a review paper that looked at these grading systems. And they write, despite the availability of more than 25 grading systems for acne, The lack of a single standardized system consistently used in practice and research reflects their inability to fulfill these
1: attributes.
0: (laughs) So clearly, even in the research and professional community, there's not really a standardized system.
1: Mm, Got it.
0: But the good thing is the FDA somehow does actually have recommendations on this. And they actually uh, recommend looking at the IGA scale, which they call the Investigator's Global Assessment scale. Um, they would like to pair this with an actual comedone count or your pimple count, basically, like, a,
1: like actual quantitative, like count mm-hmm. all the lesions. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's
0: their recommendation. Do clinics have to follow this? No. (laughs)
1: Do they? Does
0: standardized testing have to do this? Not really. (laughs) But it does mean, I mean, typically they actually do follow the IGA scale Mm -hmm. for that guidance. And if you're wondering what the IGA scale entails, it's a grading scale of 0 to 4. This is where they're solely looking at a qualitative visual um, assessment of the severity that's correlated with inflammatory and non-inflammatory lesions. And this is
1: for face, Face. right? Got it,
0: okay. So it goes from zero to four, with zero being completely clear and normal. Grade one being almost clear, this is usually a non-inflammatory lesion, usually has zero inflammation. The second one will have maybe just a few inflammatory. The moderate will have uh, much more inflammatory lesions that can also have like um kind of that pus and that deeper Mm almost cyst then severe is actually um it's kind of the worst of it and they actually note even nodulocystic lesions so these are deeper Mm -hmm. bigger they are looking at surface area the size the redness Um, so that's how they're looking at on that scale and i do have a picture here to show you a visual of what that looks like Mm -hmm. and as you can see in terms of uh severity of four you're almost seeing like almost a sense of that darkening bruising that's happening Mm -hmm. just because it's involves uh much deeper layers of the skin Mm -hmm. Um, whereas three is really still feels like just general like much more redness so Mm -hmm. hopefully that gives people an idea of how you can assess. Mm -hmm. And Gloria and I would say that once you start hitting the three is when it's a good time to start seeking out a derm. derm. Yeah, yeah, just because anything that's inflammatory usually can spring up a lot of unwanted issues and stuff. It's usually going to take much longer. So that's
1: where we think a derm partner is helpful. Yeah, and also the longer an acne breakout stays in the inflammatory stage, like in the threes and fours, the more likely you're going to have... issues post acne yes and know scarring pigmentation potentials it all gets worse so
0: totally and then we said they want to pair with um a pimple count so there is i did find one that i thought was kind of interesting um also graded from one to four um and then one being fewer than 10 Mm -hmm. and then four being more than 50. And this is actually per half face because, I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. a lot of people have much more uh, breakouts, so this will be a lot easier. Mm So, again, like we say, the reason why I think it's good, I kind of agree with the FDA to have both is because some people will have like one red inflammatory lesion yeah one you know?
1: very angry one right i think sometimes you get it i do yeah. I, I i don't break out one single but if i have a pimple it's going to be deep and angry and there was one time i broke out right between my <laughs> my eyebrows and it was so it was like it was like a unicorn horn for four <laughs> yeah. days it was just like boop. <laughs> it's funny you say that because sometimes I'll, I'll tell
0: i will like feel conscientious about it and i'll tell adam I'll be like my horn is growing. He's like, it's a cute horn. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah, so yes, yes, we all, we've all been there. So yeah, so that's where like, obviously Gloria would not be going to a derm because she doesn't need to. So this is where pairing that count with the severe, like the, how, um, how much inflammatory versus non-inflammatory lesions you're having will give you a better picture of mm-hmm. a way to calculate. And then we would say probably like, again, if you're in this like, grade three to four, where you're looking at maybe 25 to 50 on face. Um, I actually even think like sometimes a grade two could be depending on the type of lesion. Mm. So this is where like, yeah, that could help you. And another thing that I think is kind of nice um, when you think about it this way is that when you want to monitor how you're, you're improving, mm-hmm. um, just start kind of keeping a general tab of per breakout Mm -hmm. how many do you get Mm -hmm. then you get a sense of are you improving over time because like we've said before nothing's gonna go away you're not gonna have a clear face magically you know in two weeks Mm -hmm. it's a process and the goal is always to just break out less and less so having that count monitoring the type of lesion will give you a better sense of are you doing better Yeah. And not getting too frustrated. So, yeah. And then other than that, I think we wanted to, we actually had an asterisk for basically if you've just been struggling for too long.
1: Yeah. If you're really lost or it just feels like, okay, it's not terrible, but it's very persistent, definitely time to call a derm. And sometimes just like, you might, you might not even need prescription. You might just need someone to kind of handhold you and guide you to the most effective o- over-the-counter options you may have. But either way, it's time to get someone to help.
0: Totally. Cool. All right. Now it's time. Now that you know that going in, let's actually build your acne routine. Starting off with the most important thing.
1: Your main squeeze. <laughs> uh, we have an actives breakdown blog mm. post. Uh, we call the high, highest level of actives, uh, your main squeeze, meaning that these are your heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. I, these will be core ingredients tackling your whatever skin concerns you are, in this case, acne. But these are also ones that may or may not come with side effects that mm-hmm. may cause some level of irritation, dryness, So what we mean is your routine should kind of cater around it, right? So, for example, in the acne category, we will consider a dappling or BPO, or maybe the two as a combo to be your main squeeze. A tretinoin, like something prescription, is definitely your Mm -hmm. main squeeze. And what that means is, let's say you are on a tretinoin regimen, and you kind of want to also use BPO. And, oh, that's a can of worms. That's a bad example. Um, You also want to use salicylic acid. And you realize, you're starting to figure out that that pairing makes you really dry. So we would say get rid of the salicylic acid and cater around making your skin happy with the tretinoin. So this is what we mean by your main squeeze.
0: Totally. So, Gloria, how do we feel about telederms?
1: So nowadays other than <laughs> going to the actual physical derm to get a, a tretinoin prescription you can there's a lot of companies now that do acne telederms so fill a questionnaire sometimes take some selfies so companies like urology apostrophe are big players in this field and you can get your tretinoin um journey i obviously don't get acne so i didn't walk through the whole hotel journey i almost think about it as like derm light that can be good enough yeah. for most people
0: I think that's a great way of
1: putting and it. And it beats a bad germ because we've also heard <laughs> of stories of people going in yeah. and the germs are maybe a little dismissive and not very cognizant of more subtle details of mm-hmm. this person's condition. I would say that that's where I was slotted, but I, it does, um, based on what I know, like, after a while, the way it tracks progress, maybe it's like not, it, it, you shouldn't consider it as like your long-term plan. If you need someone to like really be there for you for next couple of years especially if you're considering something more serious like Accutane that you can't get through teloderm, that's where the limitations are
0: yeah I think derm light is such a good way of putting Mm -hmm. it because Gloria's absolutely right a bad derm will set you back a lot Mm -hmm. of time right but a good derm what comes with that is a person that knows your progress in history yeah, and then also just will be able to answer all your questions you know when you let's say had a bad breakout after you know six months of use you Mm -hmm. know and just i think that the thing about telederms is you can get a prescription very quickly Mm -hmm. but how you'll be able to evolve from that initial prescription it feels like a little you're still lacking that personalization that they're actually trying to i am also
1: starting to think that all these uh these types of companies allegedly i'm not i'm (laughs) I'm (laughs) not saying they do this i'm I'm just saying that i am sure that some of those customer service how you're doing checking out progress people are run by chat gpt (laughs) now yeah Yeah. just a the theory you have <laughs> yeah
0: no that's totally fair well, we should bring the the foil hat back
1: yeah that's love my tin foil hat theory yeah uh, i love it not proven don't come after me i'm not <laughs> not saying that's what they do <laughs> yeah
0: so anyways we would say you know if let's say you haven't found your derm love yet then yeah might be worth a shot but still keep looking because They'll be great for Mont. And also, let's be real, we should all be getting our annual skincare checkup, our skin cancer checkups and whatnot. So, I'm
1: embarrassed to say, it's been probably a good two and a half years yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. When we were at L'Oreal, it used to happen. They things. come through with a cart and yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, anyway, yeah. <laughs>
0: cool. All right. So, that's your main squeeze. We are going to move on to the second group, which cool. we would say are your three sidekicks that you'd like to have in your life.
1: Number One is a good soothing serum. Mm-hmm. One of the forming um, underlying issues with acne is inflammation. and it tends to be another one of those vicious cycles that inflammatory acne can lead to more post-acne issues like mm-hmm. pigmentation and uh, and scarring and also inflammation <laughs> can lead to even more acne, uh, more breakout as yeah. well. So this is, and uh, on top of that, a lot of acne actives can be a little irritating. Mm. The uh, the tretinoins for sure, even the cell acid sometimes can be a little drying. Mm-hmm. So making sure your skin barrier is taken care of while you're on an uh, yes. acne routine is very important.
0: It'll make your acne journey a lot less painful. Um, so, you know, for products, obviously we're gonna give our aquafix a shout out because of the lovely amount of manic and asiatic aside we add in there, plus some really great humectants. Um, other ones that you can look at is um, skin <gasps> suitable. Oh. I was gonna
1: toot the aquafix porn. Um, oh my God, please do horn just a little more. Of course. It's also one hundred percent actually oil free that doesn't make Victoria claw her eyes out. What that means is if you are prone to, uh excess sebum production like you're worried about that midday shine and you don't want you want something hydrating that doesn't contribute to that aquafix is a great layer layering piece during the day we will recommend always sunscreening but that means you're already getting your fill of oil from your sunscreen so that's why we suggest pairing it with something oil-free like aquafix yes Thanks, Gloria. And that concludes Aquafix <laughs> <awkward> Hour. <laughs> anyway, next.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, other ones that you can look at um, is SkinCeutical's Phytocorrective Gel. And then also, if you like a mask moment, they're Phytocorrective Mask, Gloria swears oh, really by. I really like that one. Um, and then others um, you can look at are even like Dr. Jart's Cica uh, Repair Serum. So that is a great category to kind of um, supplement um, your main squeeze and especially onboarding your main squeeze and then, of course, the second group of
1: sidekicks is your other actives. Ooh, number one, azaleic acid. I think that one's really interesting to me because mm. it has great data on both acne and hyperpigmentation. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like it has, it almost has that reputation, right? Like, ooh, have you tried azaleic acid? It's mm. super effective. Uh, we've complained about this active a few times, one of them being, it's like the anti niacinamide. Niacinamide is like, Super chemist friendly, a donkey can formulate with niacinamide. You just put it in and it'll be fine. Um, Maybe not a donkey. Donkeys don't even have fingers. All right, maybe (laughs) raccoons can formulate with niacinamide. (laughs) But azalea gas is the opposite of that. It's not soluble in anything. That's why you Mm. always get it in that kind of white paste. Pretty paste. It's It's a suspension. And sometimes that comes with a lot of formulation challenges. And a lot of times, that's why azelaic acid are in formulas that only have azelaic acid as as an active ingredient. You can't you can't have a cocktail with it. And also, all the paper, most of the paper and the data on it is at the twenty percent level. There are very very few products you can get on the market that has that level. You you're gonna have to rely on maybe a ten percent for the most part to use day and night. So that's why we, even though it has a lot. Strong data, and some people swear by it for uh, as a standalone like seeing that's good enough as a standalone acne marker we would put this in a supplementary active uh, category
0: yeah, I was also going to say as a chemist, not confession but personal anecdote I have had very little luck with azelaic oh, acid. Oh, interesting to be fair, I have never had a 20 a prescription twenty percent azelaic acid formula mm-hmm. but the 10% topicals um, we actually even recommend you could you could use it morning and night just double right. up on the amount. but I don't know if it's also because I don't love the format and comes in I never like suspensions but mm. I just feel like I don't I've never seen myself have like a lot of I didn't see a lot of pigmentation improvement. And I also feel like it's more for pigmentation than acne mm-hmm. but anyways also. Gloria's winking feel- at me, so it's very distracting. <laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> the sunscreen is crazy runny, and it's getting my eye. And okay, moving on. Classic secondary category for acne care is mm. all your chemical exfoliants. Salicylic mm. uh, acid is the OTC ingredient you'll see it at 0.5 to two percent in your acne topical gels. Mm. And but don't forget your other AHAs. You might. Uh, even though AHAs are not positioned directly for acne care, but mm-hmm. cell turnover is still a very, very important part of taking care of your acne.
0: Definitely. So um, actually, don't forget Mandelic actually does have some nice acne data behind it. But there's nothing wrong with finding other AHAs if mm-hmm. you feel like BHA doesn't work out for you. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. Otherwise, there is another category of active we should probably talk about. And we're just gonna tell the FDA too, if you are listening to mute the next five minutes yeah, of this just podcast. Turn Nothing
1: to see here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there is a rising category of read between the line actives that yes. you might find every now and then.
1: Yeah, I think the research in this category is generally interesting. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of times I'll oh, blah, blah, blah is lacking, like tretinoin is lacking because it's irritating, prescription only. So acid works ain't okay, you know. Therefore, we need more and better acne ingredients. Wonderful. But at the end of the day, because they're not approved uh, acne ingredients and F- uh, and the FDA does regulate acne ingredients. But it's ex- expensive to actually register these things as drugs or OTC it ingredients. It takes take
0: a lot of time too.
1: So... For the most part, what they do instead is they dance around the red tape yeah. a little bit. Do a little bit of this number, <laughs> Yeah,
0: They dance like hard. And probably um the best examples of this would be um you guys might have heard the cult favorite Tower 28 Spray. Um, another brand called Strike Club. We actually know the founders of you'll see um that their claims in Lingo. They basically suggest acne benefit, but don't say acne or breakouts or any of that. Don't
1: say the A word. Nothing to see here.
0: So, for example, in the Tower 28 spray, and mind you, yeah, this is uh, the active ingredient that is getting tout now as a hypochlorous acid. The claim is that it's an anti-inflammatory, which actually I don't know how they're using that, but anyways, antibacterial um, that also helps with defending your skin from harmful bacteria, reducing redness and soothing irritation. Mm. Don't say acne. And then also, if you look at this before and after, me thinks it helps with acne. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's very clear based on the BNAs what it's saying that it does, but it didn't say it, so you know. (laughs) Dancing, we're still dancing, you know.
0: so. That's a great example. And then Strike Club is actually even more careful about their lingo. Their um, active they use is sodium hypochlorite. So it's Mm -hmm. another like oxidized chlorine. Um, And their calm down moisturizer, the way to describe it is a gentle moisturizer that also keeps skin looking clear.
1: Ooh, i love it <laughs> i love the whole like nothing like just yeah just, just clear. clear
0: and happy Clarion. what's the word clarifying mm-hmm. that's what they like to use so you know um i'd say these two are like good examples of like reading between the lines so trying not to make hard acne claims but could be beneficial so this is where it's i we think this is going to be like a new arena of stuff to look at.
1: Yeah, I personally think they... I I would try them. Um, There's nothing... Yeah. If you're on a regimen, they're positioned to be more gentle than say a tread. So they should layer well with your main squeeze and yeah, it doesn't hurt to try. Yeah.
0: Then there's actually a new category of just don't care. (laughs) 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 They they really don't care. Um, So... Phage technology is something that's really interesting at looking at basically trying to balance out our flora of Mm -hmm. our skin. This is more in the microbiome realm. And there are two brands that are looking at this. It's Phyla and Day Skincare. You don't really have to read the, between the lines here. It's straight up like acne-fighting phage serum. Mm-hmm. Um, this technology is very new. They are actually looking into it, and they know that they are actually looking at um, the diversity of flora, of the flora through DNA sequencing. So um, this technology, is, for us, is actually very interesting. But I just kind of like how it's just straight up like to treat acne.
1: Just like, hey, this is acne. Bite us, FDA. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, anyways, after you're not listening still, right? So anyways, but this is we think this is kind of a cool category to look at.
1: yeah, for. and for those of you who like just to drive everyone's high school biology memories, a phage is basically a bacteriophage is a virus that eats that destroys bacteria. And if you can target the ideas, if you can target your unwanted bacteria such as the acnes, you can, achieve a much better balance. I think it's a very interesting theory and definitely a lot of promise in that category. But again, just straight up ignoring the red tapes on clay. Very ballsy.
0: Yeah. And also just want to say that the phage technology they use in the formula is not actually live culture. Mm -hmm. Um, They use the vesicle as kind of a carrier um, and they use kind of that surface coating to kind of interact with the flora. And that's how they're able to um Kind of see that improvement in diversity. So just so uh, people are like, oh yeah, oh, it's we're, not real. We're, we're not putting not live live, <laughs> live organisms yeah. on your
1: face to eat your sea acne because what could go wrong?
0: <laughs> 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 yeah. So, anyways, that's the sidekick. Um, and of course, the third, we obviously have to say, sunscreen still is a big um, part of the acne routine. And especially in preventing those post-acne marks, hyperpigmentation, and scarring. Um, yeah, Gloria, any tips there?
1: Don't use something really runny and won't <laughs> go into your eyes. It is not worth it. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> texture is king. Yes. Whatever you like to use, want to reapply is the way to go. Refer back to the past two episodes. Yes. We did quite a bit of tests on sunscreens. How much to apply and what you look for in general. Yep. And
0: also, if you really struggle, there's nothing wrong with an SPF 30. Mm -hmm. All right. Finally. So the last thing to end on um, before we wrap this episode, it's also, you guys might have a question of, okay, I kind of know how to treat acne, maybe. What about post-acne care? And what about all of these post-acne marks that I have now? I think Gloria asked a great question about this last time is, when does that start? and how does your routine change? Um, well, the good news is you might not actually have to do very much. There are a couple <laughs> of clinicals that looked at um, long-term use of adapalene and BPO, this combination for acne scar prevention. And there are actually two studies that looked at this. They looked at a combination of 0.3% uh, percent adapalene with 2.5% BPO. And then lower amount of adapalene 0.1 percent adapalene with 2.5 percent bpo and they
1: used it for six months that's a pretty decent duration
0: totally and um good size too the 0.3 percent adapalene um a test subject size was about 67 subjects and they did find that what they did was they had the subjects start using this and they were these subjects are screened for having Acne and post acne scarring. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to see compared to the placebo candidates, like how um, their post acne scarring looked after six months. And they did find that it did prevent future scarring and also treated existing acne. So it's kind of a good sign, basically saying that if you stay the course, um, especially in this scenario, obviously for adapling BPO, but you stay the course and are consistent with your treatments in treating acne, it can actually help with future scarring.
1: So You said both uh, concentrations of dappling
0: worked? Yes. 0.1 saw the similar effect, obviously not the same to the same extent, but Mm. also improvement as well.
1: That's uh, really a super interesting study. Definitely stay the course. And especially when you see your acne lesions start to die Mm. down, it is not time to stop the routine yet. Just carry on for a little longer.
0: Yeah, definitely. But otherwise, um, that's it. That's the end of the meets
1: all right we'll see you next time you can find us at- <laughs> i was about to end <laughs> i was about to end too fast um, uh you can find us at our website on dot you'll write to us at info at chemist confessions Dot com. <laughs> or you can DM us on, on our Instagram at chemist.confessions <laughs> or comment directly on this video and we will see you next time on the cleanser episode.
0: Woo-hoo! Otherwise, thank you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.